Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Recording started. Hey, everybody. Welcome this week to the Matrixit discussion group call for tactical sovereignty. Like I say, this... Beautiful Sunday, the first day of the week, therefore not the seventh and also not the Sabbath. Uh, one of the many things that <laughs> we've been tricked on. You know, I, it was funny yesterday, I was um, listening to a live episode with another friend of mine, and he brought up that topic of, of the Sabbath and when he observes it. And, you know, it's so hard to even really know. When the Sabbath is really supposed to be, I mean, my, my opinion actually would be that I think it was what the third day that the moon and the sun was created. So I would guesstimate that the seventh day would be four days after a new moon. That's just a guess, but the calendars and everything have all been twisted around, so you really never know what's what. Um, I've got a bunch of info to go over this evening, and I don't think I think we really need any visual distractions, so I'm just going to bow out camera-wise here and just leave that uh, really nice, kindly-looking judge there on the screen uh, getting ready to drop the gavel on somebody. That's really a good chunk of what this is about this evening. One of the things that I find really frustrating is that online, you know, you see people post all sorts of ideas about how they think the judicial system works, different things like that, what the birth certificate is, all that kind of stuff. And, you know, that's easily just kind of blown over and ignored. But when I'm seeing people that are going around the country charging over $1,300 to attend one of their little seminars, and I've listened to their seminars before, and know that 99% of what they say is totally bogus. And they make all these wild claims and accusations about how things work, how the system works, and really not a whole lot of information about what to do about it and how to correct yourself in your relationship with it. That, that right there, to me, gets really frustrating. Because if they're charging, like I said, over $1,300 to attend, that tells me, evidently, there must be people that are paying it. And I've listened to people go into court and use the same exact dialogue that this gentleman in particular presents, and they just get steamed over every time. I've, I've even had people send me recordings of them in court, and they're like, oh, I owned the court. I took it over, you know. And they, they send me the recording, I listen to it, and I'm thinking, I don't know where they're at, but what I'm listening to, they're being totally ignored. I mean, they're, they're just going off about, oh, a Sedicate Trust, and this isn't a legitimate court, and on and on and on. 
And the judge lets them speak their mind and says, okay. And he schedules the next court date because that's all that court hearing was for anyway. It wasn't for trying the case or whatever. Everybody thinks that the second they go into the courtroom, it's for trying the case. No, actually, there can be quite a few things that occur before the case even ever gets tried. Um, well, one, of course, would be like first appearance, you know, where all they want to hear is guilty or not guilty. Well, people want to go in and they, they want to present their standing in, in the matter and state all the issues. And they don't want to hear that. That's not what it's about. It's supposed to be a little two-minute appearance, come and gone, because they got another hundred people behind you. People don't realize how the courts work. And so if people are coming forward then with what would be called pseudo-law. And something that sounds good has a good appearance of something that should be law, but it really isn't and doesn't pertain to anything whatsoever. But this is what occurs when... A system does not educate or teach the populace about how the system works. And this happens over and over again with multiple different things. And as I sat down the other day and made a list and wrote down over 30 different things that every man and woman encounters every time in their life, if not even on a daily basis sometimes, that is not taught to them in the school system and the school system supposedly is supposed to be preparatory for life or even for work and it doesn't even do that uh, people leave the school system and they're not even sure what kind of occupation they want to do yet now that's not everybody but i would say that's the mass majority of people so this really is beneficial uh, to say the judicial system in particular with people not knowing how things work because they don't know how to present themselves they don't know how to state their case and they don't know the moving parts even in a case how motions work how to file motions um, how to even request a motions hearing uh, they, they don't realize that you know you can't just write something on a napkin and, go and submit it to the clerk, it doesn't work that way because the courts all have their own rules about how things are even submitted. You, you've got to use the correct font. You've got to double space it. You've got to leave margins on the edges. And any number of those things, the, the clerk can just dismiss it. And that's why a lot of people's affidavits get totally ignored. It's just for the style of it alone because it's not organized in a way that the court accepts. And like I said, this is beneficial to the courts because that means the chances of the populace winning are slim to none, uh, probably very heavy on the none. I've heard estimates of like 3% of people maybe are successful in court. And 97, of course, then are not. So it's very profitable to the courts for the people not to know what's going on and how things are working. And so you're going to have people that come out and are teaching things about the law and about the system that since people don't know anything about it at all, then anybody that steps forward and starts talking about how things work, they really 
unless they're they're going to use some serious reasoning in their own mind, they really don't have much of a choice other than maybe just to believe them because they cannot refute them one way or another because they don't know. So they take these people at their word for it. And some of these people come forward and they're really good speakers, unlike myself, but they come forward and and start laying things out and uh, this is the way it is and that's the way it is and you hear a serious narcissistic tone actually in the voice of a lot of those people they're not very humble people at all and especially if you ever have a one-on-one talk with them (laughs) and say for instance maybe disagree with things that they say or things that they teach and they can be pretty nasty trust me even when you're going to them very humbly and saying, well, where do you get this? Or where do you get that? They very quickly will lash out on you. So, hey, anybody has a question about where I found something or what I'm looking at? Uh, normally, I just share it openly on Facebook anyway or in the group. So, it's not difficult to figure out uh, the path I'm traveling on. But one of my favorite quotes comes from Samuel Clemens. He said, it's not what you think you know for sure that gets you into trouble. It's what you think you know that just isn't so. And that's exactly what we're seeing because of this, because of people being uneducated. I remember being in a court setting here a few years ago, and a gentleman that was up ahead of me was doing his first appearance and whether or not he was going to be represented by an attorney or not and he said oh no no i I don't need representation he said i've watched law and order and the judge just shook his head it's like oh my gosh is if that's the only education people have then they are very very misguided you know there, there was one i was listening to the other day actually and this woman was saying and i couldn't believe how long the judge let her go on and she was saying, I'm not under your codes and statutes. I'm under the public law. And I thought, where does she think the codes and statutes come from? The statutes are all derived from the public law. So right there, she proved to the judge that she had absolutely no clue on how things really work. And like I said, this is what happens when the system doesn't teach people how it operates. And it doesn't show you the moving parts behind the scenes and really what's going on. I was speaking to a gentleman several days ago and told me that soon he was going to be going and having a meeting uh, with the CEO of Tyson Foods. And I thought, oh, this is pretty interesting. And uh, so what's he talking to him about? Uh, What's Tyson? Uh, Chickens or whatever, talking to him about how to clean chickens, pluck feathers. That's what most people would think. But this particular Tyson Foods factory he was going to actually processes cattle. In fact, uh, they go through thousands of head of cattle a day, an astronomical number. But that's a perfect example right there. Most people would hear Tyson Foods and their mind kind of automatically goes to chicken where that's not the case at all. And that's the same situation with the court system. People think they know what's happening. They think they know what it's all about. But in reality, no, they, they have no clue at all.
And I think the first thing that's important for people to realize is really knowing where you are. Uh, if you're in, for instance, the United States of America, uh, you would be in a state of, like state of Ohio, state of Kentucky, Tennessee, state of Texas. Well, the word state really isn't a name. It's not part of the name. It's actually giving you the condition of that territory. And the condition of that state is that it is a conquered land. And conquering can be done either through the sword or through surrender. Those are two ways that conquering is done. And in the case of the states, that they've been conquered through surrender as becoming a franchise, essentially, of the federal government. And a lot of people immediately think, oh, they know what a franchise is. Uh, it's like maybe like a McDonald's outlet or something like that. 7-Eleven, those are all franchises owned by the mother company. You go to the word franchise and look at the real meaning behind it. You can go back as late as 1300. And it says that a franchise is something with a right or a privilege that's granted by a sovereign or a government, uh, which would lead to extending licensing, registrations, certificates, that kind of thing. You can go even, even more earlier here though to our time go to 1959 there was a definition regarding franchise and it lists it as an authorization by a company that sounds very familiar doesn't it we know what company is running things and so these states uh, they've been granted authority through the federal government and that's how they're operating and operating, like I said, as a conquered territory. So there's a lot of these falsehoods that are being taught. And we think of these things and think of these falsehoods. A falsehood is really a hood over your eyes. It's something that's blinding you to what the real truth is. And I've laid these out in basically three different categories this evening. The first one is going to be an authority. The second is going to be ownership in you. And the third one is going to be the courts, uh, along with a couple of miscellaneous things. But in looking at authority, we have to realize that authority is a vested interest or ownership. That's where authority comes from. In today's system, an individual, you know, that we see that authority and where it's at, it's over the legal name, which really stems from an organization that was created with the registration upon birth. Uh, people will ask, and this, I'm going to list a lot of these things that a lot of these so-called teachers that are out there charging big money for. I'm going to go through some of these items. Um, you'll see people on different YouTube videos. They'll, they'll be asking the or the uh, officers. They'll be asking, you know, "Am I under arrest? Am I free to go?" Uh, yes, you are under arrest. I know you're not free to go. People don't realize they're not taught that every traffic stop is technically it is a custodial arrest. That's why if somebody's on probation, they're told by the probation officer, 
any kind of interaction that you have with the police or law enforcement officers, you have to report it to us. Because that's because people don't realize that a simple interaction like a traffic stop is an arrest, which would be a violation of probation. Well, of course, probation officers, I'm sure, don't tell people all those details behind it. And we have to realize that, that the state is in a position of being a custodian for the legal person or even custodian for the vehicle. That's why they call that a custodial arrest. Authority essentially is the jurisdiction, the uh, personum jurisdiction, uh, the res, which would be the property jurisdiction, and authority is even over territory. It's territorial jurisdiction as far as, as say, a landmass or within the city limits or uh, within the boundaries of a state. And those are just some very basic things behind authority. And secondly, I want to go into ownership. The first part is going to be strictly ownership, and then I'm going to go into the second part of it, which is ownership and you. What you really are in their eyes. Uh, with, with ownership, one of the things that is taught to people that if you register something, you are turning over ownership. Well, registration does not convey or transfer any ownership. Ownership is in two things. Possession, which is 90% of ownership, and then title. Title may only be 10% of the ownership, but that's the strongest link of the ownership. Say with a vehicle, it doesn't matter who's got the vehicle. What matters is whose name is that certificate of title in. And if people think that you don't need any of those kind of things, then fine. Good luck getting the vehicle back if anybody steals it. Just saying. So a registration really is uh, part of performance, and it's an agreement to your performance. Because when you have a vehicle that's registered, and there's ways around these things. I'm not going to get into the details of those here this evening. I will on some of the stuff, but not everything. <clears throat> but when you're getting into a situation with registration, it's basically a performance. Think of uh, college registration. When you register for college and you get accepted and go and register, guess what? The college doesn't own you because of that word regis in registration. They don't own you. What's happened is you've agreed to a level of your performance, which means that you're going to abide by their rules that they have on the campus. Uh, they've got classes. You're signing up for classes that you're agreeing to go to and that you're going to attend X amount of classes in order to get whatever degree you're looking for. It's really more about performance. And the same thing with the vehicle, saying that uh, you'll agree to abide by whatever so-called rules or code. You agree to have it, keep it read or insured uh, and be safe, make sure it stays in safe condition, that kind of thing. So that's all that modern day registration really is. I stress modern day. Because if we go way, way back in time when the governments or the feudal lords at that time really were trying to take over authority over the lands around them, they looked at all these different tribes, basically, all these families. There's different huge family farms, and there is always worries of invasion. 
and the king would be, you know what? And this is where the Regis part comes in. The king came in and said, listen, I, I will protect you. Just sign things over to me, sign property over to me, and I'll make sure that my men protect your land in the case of an invasion. And it was really the beginning stages of a lot of the crap that we have to go through now. All ownership really rests in the state. That is one of the planks of, of socialism, just like taxation is a plank of socialism. But so is all ownership being held in the state. And if people have a question about that, you can look that up. It's Senate document number 43. That was done April 17th, 1933. Oh, yeah, isn't that amazing? 1933, what was going on at that time? There was kind of another reorganization being done. Uh, this was right after, like 10 years after the Federal Reserve had been brought in. Allodial title. A lot of people are out there teaching and selling allodial title packages. I'm sorry, allodial title no longer exists. Period. Nothing more to say about that. And I know with a lot of number of these things, there's going to be people going, oh, no, that's not true. I've got this. I've got that. Okay, fine. But wait till serious trouble comes your way and see how that loyal uh, title holds up for you. It's not going to. You do not own money. And people say, oh, there's no such thing as money. Well, guess what? Yeah, there is. <laughs> but you do not own the money in your pocket, your purse, or the bank account. Look at the fine print regarding the bank. Guess what? That money that's deposited there has been gifted to them. Well, we see what happened in Greece here a few years ago. They did a bail-in. A bail-in is when the government says, oh, we're going to go take 22% of everybody's bank accounts to help fund the government. That's why they're able to do that. Sure, that might have been Greece, but Greece is also set up underneath the IMF and the World Bank, just like the USA is. Um, that world government everybody's afraid of? Yeah, guess what? It's been here for a while. So back to the idea of there is no money. <laughs> Which drives me nuts when people say it because guess what? I will always offer them my Zelle number. And they can donate as much as of what they claim doesn't exist to me as they want. If you just simply look at the definition of money, money is an agreed-upon medium of exchange. That means even your labor can be money, or that chicken can be money, or it's eggs, or that apple pie that you're going to trade for the eggs can be a form of money. It's just an agreed-upon medium of exchange. And in the USA, it's a military script called the Federal Reserve Note, or USD, United States Dollar. The state did not make you into a corporation. I hate listening to people always saying, oh, yeah, they made you into a corporation. Well, evidently, you know nothing about business law, not studied any of that whatsoever. It's physically impossible for you to be a corporation. A corporation is nothing but a piece of paper that's hanging in a file somewhere. Uh, a corporation, number one, it's not recognized until its letters of incorporation have been filed. Yeah, this reminds me, I don't know if anybody's been on a site called the Stock Exchange, but 
a few years ago, three or four years ago, I was on the stock exchange and there was somebody on there saying, oh, yeah, you know, they made you into a corporation. They're spewing this whole stuff. It happened to be Anna Von Rates that was doing this. And an attorney from the Security and Exchange Commission piped in and said, oh, really? Well, I'm an attorney for the um, SEC, Security and Exchange Commission, and we've got all corporations on file. So if you can come into the SEC and find where you are listed at here, then I will believe you. But until then, no. A corporation also has officers. Uh, they hold regular meetings. They've got minutes of their meetings. They've got their own bylaws, totally separate from the laws of the county, municipalities, state, federal government. Where they've got their own private bylaws on how their corporation runs. So you don't have any of that stuff. And no. Nobody made you into a corporation. Uh, if anything at all, what they did is incorporate you into how things work. Uh, much like you would incorporate eggs into a recipe for making an omelet. Uh, people don't realize, they, they see the word corporate and they immediately think corporation. I think there's only one kind of corporation. There's actually multiple types of corporate structures. An LLC is a corporate structure. A trust is a corporate structure. Partnerships are a corporate structure. Associations are a corporate structure. But being a corporate structure doesn't also mean incorporation. Two different things. Because there's also unincorporated entities. A little word there to keep in mind. Unincorporated entities. Oh, Lord. Anyway, so like I stated, when we're born, really what's happening is, and the proof is in the registration, and the, that registration, which is certificate of life birth, even has a different date on it from the time that you were born. It's got a different date. It's a, it's a different situation going on altogether. And that's why talking to vital statistics, they will always stress to you that that certificate of live birth is the recording of an event. And they stand firm on that. They never say the event is a baby being born. They just say it's a recording of an event. And I'll tell you, the event is the registration of their juridic person, of their entity. Because that's what you have authority over. You have authority over either what bows down to you uh, willingly or what you've created. And so what they do, they created the juridic person. And people annoyingly go around wearing that mask and thinking, oh, that's them, when it's really not. But, of course, I'm sure they've seen law and order. So anyway. What you are seen as, and drives me crazy, people get up, oh, I'm the living man, you know, I bleed, I breathe. Uh, yeah, they know that. They know you're a living man. But what they see you as, as a living man, is someone who is a representative or agent for that organization or partnership that they created. People don't know how 
the, the agent and principal relationship work, I recommend reading a book called The Treaties on the Law of Agency. Learn a lot there. Stuff they don't teach in school. Keep in mind, though, also that an agent can resign as being an office holder because that position of agent is an office. Another good one that everybody is being told to do is to claim that you are an American state national. Sorry to tell you, there's no such thing, no such animal as an American state national. And somebody within the system, the courts or the state or whatever may think, oh, you're saying I'm like American state. Are you from like Samoa Islands? Um, or are you a member of the Organization of American States, which doesn't include only but one state. And I think it's actually Washington, D.C. is the only one that's included in the Organization of American States. Something to look up. But even the term national, national is synonymous with citizen. All U.S. citizens are nationals, ones that are born here. Everyone born here is already a national but also a citizen, the same thing. Unless you are from, like I said, small islands, then you are only a national and not a citizen. But citizenship can be applied for by them. All right, that was just kind of a brief overview on ownership and you. And I want to go into part three here, which is courts and some miscellaneous info, which is going to make up the bulk of this, actually. You know, to me, it's frustrating that people wait till they get in trouble before you ever hear from them. On social media, you might see them bouncing in and out all the time. But it's not until they get in trouble uh, before they really dig in and want to start learning and they need to start researching what's really going on. The problem with that is, is that when you have one central issue facing them that you're in trouble for, you're going to have blinders on. You're only going to see things that you think directly relate to that when you don't realize that there may be a hundred other things that relate to that, that your solution could lay in. But you're not going to see them. You're going to have blinders on because, you know, you're facing going to jail for 90 days in, in another week and a half. And I'm sorry, in a week and a half, you're not going to clear matters up. Um, you're not going to call one of these gurus or there's no magic piece of paper that you sign or anything like that. If that was the case, it would have been found long ago. doesn't work that way. The things that need to be done, the things that I show are all preventative medicine. It's stuff you have to have in place ahead of time. Well, you can't be playing in the sandbox and then go and complain that you don't like the rules of that sandbox. That's not the way things work. Once you're in there taking advantage of the benefits and services, you can't then turn around and see a liability involved and say, oh, but I don't want that liability. No. You know, it, you ate all the sweets. You ate that whole big piece of pie. Now you have to still clean your plate. You still have a duty here. You don't get just to reap the benefits and services and privileges and also not holding a liability. It's actually a maximum of law. He that accepts a benefit also holds a liability. 
It's just the way life works. That's actually natural law as well. Uh, one of the things people hear all the time from the bench is the courts do not offer legal advice. And for some people, I mean, that, that's frustrating because they don't know anything that's going on. However, if people would shut their mouth and listen, sometimes uh, the bench will drop a couple hints for them if they're paying attention. But, however, the, the courts do provide its rules. You know, you can find them in both federal and state rules of civil criminal procedure. Both of those, both the federal and the state has the civil and criminal procedures listed. You can go through those and look for what identifies with you. Are you in a state court? Are you facing a civil situation? So you're going to look at the state rules of civil procedure. Um, same if it's a criminal case. You're going to look at the state rules of criminal procedure. And there's also, though, specific rules <laughs> laid out by individual judges for their courtroom. People don't realize that. I'd recommend to anybody, if you've got anything that you're facing, if it's going to be before a particular judge, especially like, say, for instance, it's a trial situation or something, you need to go to the clerk and find out what rules that judge has. Because just like all other individuals, they've got their quirks and things they like, things they don't like, and it's very good to know those. Oh, another big one. There's no such thing as a license to practice law. That drives me crazy. It's basically it's the only thing people know about licenses is a driver's license. They're like, yeah, there, there's no such thing exists for being an, an attorney. Um, which, no, a lawyer doesn't need one. A, a lawyer is basically like a solicitor, uh, somebody that's learned in the law, or as an attorney is somebody that is approved to represent other people. Well, that would be equivalent to a barrister for people that are in England. But not all licenses look like your driver's license. For instance, a fully automatic weapons license they're not going to give you something that looks like a driver's license what they give you is it's actually a stamp and no it's not one of those stamps that you lick and stick in the corner of an envelope before you mail it out like people used to do in the old days but these licenses come in different forms like i said the stamp some are certificates some are registrations you know, somebody might be a registered this or registered that. Well, that is their license to do what they're doing because they've taken the training. They've been approved by the state. Uh, that way, they're not going to cause any harm to the public. You don't want just any old whoever coming over and doing the electric on your house or rewiring your house. You want to have a licensed electrician come and do it or a certified electrician come and do it because they've taken the training they know what they're doing what to do what not to do and that's the best way for you to ensure your safety is knowing that somebody's been trained for what they're doing another fun one is invoking common law and i've seen and listened to a lot of cases where people want to invoke common law in court i mentioned this couple weeks ago with uh, Tracy on here 
not once have I ever seen a judge deny that. They're sure, like, yeah, absolutely, this is a common law court, sure. Common law isn't what some of these gurus or whatever out there are telling people it is. Uh, I've heard it referred to as, oh, it's an unwritten law. Well, if it's not written down, then, I mean, come on. That's one of the main things that Justinian took care of, a guy that everybody doesn't like for some reason. But Justinian went and codified the laws. He made things simpler and easier. That way you could read stuff. You knew what you were going by, what you were supposed to do or what you were not supposed to be doing. So, yeah, it's going to be written down. When people also, I think they confuse it with like natural law or they think uh, it means do no harm. Well, do no harm doesn't even exist in natural law. I just went through Hurricane Ian down here. Nature had its way with South Florida. (laughs) All right. Was there harm done? Yes. Lots of harm done. So, yeah, it doesn't even exist in natural law. People go and just look up the definition instead of taking people's word for it. The definition for common law is that it is the treaties and judicial decisions and statutes. That's where the common law is. Even a lot of people that like Carl Lentz. Carl Lentz will tell you what common law is. He says it is a law that is common to a people. So I'm down here on Southwest Florida. What is the common law here? It would be the codified statutes that were taken from the public law from the state of Florida. That's the common law down here. If you're in the Middle East, uh, it might be Sharia law. You know, So if you're going to try and invoke common law, I mean, you might even want to specify whose common law hey, you're trying to invoke. Um, because the judge might say, okay, you want, how about if I give them Sharia law? See how they like that. Because you know, they didn't specify. So, yeah, that can be kind of a confusing situation because people don't know the, the basis of where it even comes from. That's one of the reasons why, supposedly, the settlers came here from Europe was because, quote, they were tired of the harsh common law of the king. Well, if people came here to get away from the king's common law, what are they doing going on the court saying they want to invoke common law? It just makes zero sense. And um, people as well, you'll be told to hold your own court. All right. You can do that in your backyard if you want or whatever. There's zero relevance to that. I'm not even going to get into it. Um, I've listened to so many cases, like I said, claiming a win where they like took over the court and things like that. And they just steamroll over them. And too often people are too busy talking or their mind is so clouded with all these things that they thought they knew for sure that just isn't so, that they don't even hear what's being said. They don't even realize what's even happening in the courtroom. There's the word understand. We're told it means to stand under. Uh, Rest in peace, Jordan Maxwell. Love you, brother. That is not what understand means. You can find that definition absolutely nowhere. If somebody can find a dictionary that says that understanding or to understand means to stand under somebody else's authority or stand underneath a law, show it to me. Love to see it. Looked, didn't see it anywhere. 
A uh, fun one of the Patriot community is that the original 13th Amendment was destroyed because of the titles of nobility that were listed there. That no one with a title of nobility could hold an office, which would get rid of the attorneys, it would get rid of our whole House of Representatives, it would get rid of the Senate, <laughs> even get rid of the judge sitting on the bench. Well, sorry, they did not. Even if it was in there, I, I've seen so many stories about what really went on with the 13th Amendment, but it really does not matter because you can still find verbiage regarding titles of nobility in Act 1, Section 10, Clause 1 of the Constitution. Go look it up. It's there. And I believe I've seen it in one other place in the Constitution as well. I just didn't take the time to go look it up. Another fun one. There are two constitutions. Well, no, I'm sorry, there's not. There's only one constitution being used today, and that was the Constitution of 1787 that was ratified in 1789. There's only four organic laws, two original laws for the United States of America. First was the Articles of Confederation, that would have been uh, 1780, 1781. Then there was, and there was also the Declaration of Independence before that, 1776. There was the Constitution as we know it from 1789. And then there was also the Northwest Ordinance. Those are the only four organic laws. There's no extra Constitution hidden in there. People think that that second Constitution is the act of 1871, 100 years later. It's not even in the same, same century. They think it's the act of 1871 where everything was turned over to the Vatican and Britain. I've heard that numerous times. You can go read. It's easy to find the act of 1871. It's actually called the Organic Act of 1871. And nowhere in there does it elude or even mention Great Britain or the Vatican, the Pope, King George, nobody, right? It's not there. The only thing that the Organic Act of 1871 did is it repealed the charters of Georgetown and Washington, two towns, and consolidated them and set up a corporate government for the District of Washington, D.C., just like probably the town you live in is incorporated. They're all incorporated. That's how they're able to do business. Enough on that one. Uh, like I mentioned earlier, I'm saying that you're the living man in court, you know, and people wonder why they get a psyche veil. But people say, oh, they see you as dead. Really? They see you as dead? I mean, that's, come on, think about that. That's, there's no legitimacy to that at all. I mean, if, if there was a, a dead person in the courtroom, they'd be evacuating the whole building. Come on. It's not how they see you at all. Like I said before, they simply see you as an agent or representative for the juridic person created by the state, created by the secretary of state. That, and they are the principal, and you are the agent. Spend some time thinking about that one. Right, there's some... A lot of things you can do with that, a lot of ideas with that. Um, 
People say the courts ask you your name uh, to get you to contract with them or to establish jurisdiction. No. They ask you your name, number one. They want to make sure they're dealing with the right man or woman. That's what they're doing. And they don't need to establish jurisdiction by asking your name. One of the things, if people listen, that they will ask, and you'll even see this on, like, Judge Wapner or whatever, you know. Uh, where do you live? What's your address? Uh, where do you work? How long do you work there? You know, things like that. Um, that's what establishes jurisdiction, uh, the territorial and in personam jurisdiction. Even people that go into court and that they say, everybody, everybody says they're there by special appearance, right? Special appearance is for one thing and one thing only. It's to question jurisdiction. And there's even people say, always question jurisdiction. Anytime during the case, you know, you can argue jurisdiction. Yeah, that's very true. But that's very vanilla. What jurisdiction are you arguing? There's up to 11 different types of jurisdiction. Which one are you claiming that the courts don't have? So, anyway, no. They're, they're not doing that to contract with you. That's, like I said, that's easily been established anyway. All right. You know, people also, now if they pay attention and listen to these court cases, you're going to get a bunch of hints. And big hints are right in the beginning of the court case. I mean, and I'm not talking, I'm talking about the case. I'm not talking about where you're going for arraignment. I'm not talking about a motions hearing. I'm not talking about a status hearing, anything like that. Until the case really gets going. The judge will always ask the prosecutor if they have had time to speak with the defense counsel or if they've reached an agreement. And sometimes the prosecutor will say, yes, we've offered this and that. They've agreed. And the judge will say, okay, so ordered, done and over with. Or the prosecutor will say, uh, no, we have not come to an agreement, which tells the judge, okay, now he can move forward. Because if you go back to that Article 1, Section 10, Clause 1 of the Constitution, it states in there, no state can impede the obligation of a contract. So if the prosecutor and the defense have come to an agreement with each other, they've contracted with each other, then the judge's hands are tied. He's just going to go and order, providing that it agrees with the rules of the state, he'll go ahead and order whatever the agreement was that they came to. And that tells him, all right, he's not needed anymore. He doesn't need to intercede and decide anything. It's already been done. Uh, another fun one is the courts are de facto. All right, break that word de facto apart. De facto. It's Latin, and it means of fact. Doesn't mean of fiction or artificial, of fact. And so if anybody wants to go and argue that the courts are all de facto, they're not de jure, well, I don't know what the difference is. Uh, is the bedding in the jail cell of a de jure jail more comfortable than the bedding in a de facto court? Do they serve you better food in a de jure prison as compared to a de facto prison? So that's really a moot point. I don't even know why people say those kind of things to judges. 
And, you know, let me mention this when it comes to court situations. Majority of situations you should be able to take care of on your own with a little bit of study, with a little bit of knowledge. You should be able to take care of on your own. When I say that, that means by taking care of it, I mean coming together with an agreement with the prosecutor ahead of time, just like the judge is asking about. You should be able to do that on your own. If not, then, yeah, maybe an attorney would be needed. And I, I know what it says in Corpus Juris Secundum, that an attorney's allegiance is really to the bar and to the courts and to the public. And then lastly, you, you're fourth in line. But people need to realize that when an attorney is being hired, they aren't being hired necessarily for their knowledge. Okay. They're they're not being hired because they seem smooth and articulate. No, what you are doing is you are buying into a friendship. You're buying into the relationship that that attorney has with the courts. I had a situation one time and I'm sure other people probably had these situations that if you noticed, it might've gotten drug out for a year. That's because it kept bouncing and landing in different judges laps. And when it landed in the lap of an administrator of a court administrator that the attorney has a good relationship with, boom, they're, they're going to hop on it and say, okay, we're going to court. We're going to do it. We're taking care of it. Uh, in two days, one day you got to show up. That's part of the reason why you're buying into a relationship. Another fun one is that the courts are all maritime courts. Uh, it's admiralty jurisdiction under maritime law. Uh, yeah, I got to call bullcrap on that. And the reason why is because I've watched maritime cases. Maritime cases are nothing like what you're going to see in your state or federal, district court, whatever. Nothing like it at all. Now, there are some aspects of maritime law that has been adopted by today's administrative courts, not maritime, but administrative courts, uh, things like a swift and speedy trial. That was adopted from them. It goes back to maritime. They didn't know how long this guy was going to be in town. As long as the tide was high and the ship was here, we got to take care of it now. If we wait, tide's going to go down. He's going to be gone. Well, we're going to lose our chance at justice. That's where a quick and speedy trial comes from. So there, there were some good aspects that came from it. But overall, no. It's not maritime court. And believe me, from what I've seen, you would not want to be in a maritime courtroom. You would not want to be, especially, you would not want to be a victim in that situation in a maritime courtroom. Because you are going to receive very, very limited remedy. And the perpetrators are going to get off quite often with a slap on the wrist. That's just the way what I've witnessed in those courts. All right. People are told to, you need to get the judge's oath of office. Wait a second. Those same people are also there by special appearance, which means they're only there to argue jurisdiction. So you're arguing jurisdiction and you want to bring forward the judge's oath of office uh, to what? Show that he is seated legitimately? That those two ideas contradict each other totally. Besides the point, the oath 
that the judge or an attorney or whoever makes, the oath is to the courts or to the bar. It's not to you. And no, the bar does not stand for British Accredited Registry. You're not going to find that anywhere either. Me and a few other people have spent time looking. You're not going to find that anywhere. The bar just stands for a barrister. The bar can be something as simple as one attorney can be the bar. Stands for barrister, comes from England. I know people didn't grow up there, so they're not used to that word barrister. That's where it comes from. Another one that's been put out there for people. And like I said, a lot of these things that have been put out there for people are what I call not actionable information. It's like a story I heard about when the Montana Freeman were in court. And they were bringing up these arguments. They were bringing up, you know, the judge up there in the black robe and the seal on the wall behind him and the gold fringe flag that was there. That court administrator said, okay, find it. Let's take a recess. Took down the flag, took the seal down, went back into the Holy of Holies, took off his robe, hung it up, came back out just wearing a shirt and tie. And said, okay, let's reconvene court. Because that's not where the authority comes from. Doesn't come from the black robe, cross-dressing, whatever. Doesn't come from the gold fringe flag. The authority doesn't come from the seal behind them. Those, have, those are decorative. That's all they are. So arguing those things are a moot point as well. And, you know, and, and people wonder why these courts want to give them psych evaluations. This is the reason why. Because this is basic stuff that people should have really gone out and learned on their own. Even though it's not taught to you in school, you should have gone out and learned on your own because probably everybody at some point is at a minimum going to have to stand in traffic court or have some relation dealing with the courts. So it's a great thing you want to know. Because quite often you can have a lot at stake in those situations. Another fun one. Fee schedule. Uh, you need to produce your fee schedule. Yeah, send them, uh, yeah, just send them your fee schedule. Uh, everything will go away. They'll be scared. No, they won't. Uh, number one, aren't you arguing you don't have any contract with the state? Well, if you have no contract, no agreement with them, then they don't have one with you either which means your fee schedule means nothing. They've not agreed to anything like that. But more importantly, who are you going to have enforce that fee schedule? I've yet to see anybody collect on a fee schedule. They're ridiculous. A lot of this stuff just makes you look stupid too. And that's the last thing you want to do. If you have to go in there, you want to go in there knowing what's happening, not following these false ideas by some dude traveling the country charging people $1,333 to attend his seminar. You don't want to do that. Another fun one is you must claim to be the beneficiary. You are the beneficiary. All right. Well, if you're claiming to be the beneficiary, I don't care if you're claiming to be the beneficiary. I don't care if you're claiming to be the trustee. I don't care if you are claiming to be the grantor. Those are all trust positions. You start bringing that up and a judge is going to want to see evidence of this trust. You're saying that you hold an office within a trust. Show me evidence of the trust. If you can't show them evidence of the trust that you are referring to, then 
you may receive the benefit of a holiday at their gay bar hotel because it is very illegal to claim an office or a position that you do not hold. It's one of the most dangerous things that's put out there. And, you know, as long as we're on trust, and there's a lot of people sell trust, you know, I, I think there are a good time and place, uh, a right situation for a trust where it can be very helpful. But you can also really do the same things with like a private association, right? You don't really have to go to the links of doing a trust. But a, a trust, the idea of it stems really from a statement made by J.D. Rockefeller. He said, own nothing and control everything. Everybody that has tried to sell me on a trust always mentions that statement. How come is it that the one guy that everybody blames all these problems on with our society, J.D. Rockefeller, how come they go and they take his advice on trust? Does that make any sense? Not at all. Really, if you get into trust and, and study the number one element that they are created for, what they are created for, it's not protection from the courts because the only one that ultimately has any control over a trust, if there's a problem, is the courts. That's the only one that can make a decision regarding a trust if there is a problem. The number one purpose of every trust is to separate the property, which is the res, to separate the res from the beneficiary. So the beneficiary cannot readily get his hands on the property of the trust. That's why very often trusts will be set up, for instance, like for grandchildren by their grandparents because the grandparents don't want the grandchildren to pilfer that trust, you know, uh, have another prodigal son moment, you know, where he goes, uh, spends everything and comes back and has to be a servant at his father's farm the rest of his life. They want to avoid that kind of a situation. So they create a trust to separate the trust property from the beneficiary and put in place trustees who oversee the trust, make sure the trust stays as strong as it is or even gains strength, meaning whatever that the beneficiary might want to use money from the trust on really needs to be something like, for instance, a business that will profit the trust so the trust isn't diminished. And a lot of people don't tell you that really when it comes to trust, that it's really to separate you from your property. Isn't there a saying that we've all heard recently that says you will own nothing and be happy? Tell me what the difference is between that and a trust. I mean, we, you can't pick and choose here. It's not the way things work. And I'm going I'm to wrap this up with another big one. A very big one. And that is the secured party creditor. Uh, an idea, I think, partially taken from HJR 192, which, by the way, isn't law. It's a House Joint Resolution. Okay. HJR 192. And all these things to fill out, uh, indemnity agreements, hold harmless agreements, and so you can become a SBC, a secured party creditor. Uh, 
that's bogus. I mean, plain and simple. I'll tell you right now. Yeah, I mean, it's these same people that tell you that your signature creates the money. Well, if your signature creates the money, aren't you already a secured party creditor? Well, what's going on here? I mean, you can't have it both ways. And yeah, your signature does create money. Yeah, you can have the position of a creditor. And no, you don't have to go out and have a hold harmless agreement or an indemnity bond, any of that kind of stuff. Um, this is all just fancy stuff that makes people, I mean, something they can put up on their wall or whatever. They think they've really done something. No, this does not change your status. Regarding some of the things that you can do, I didn't want to get into a lot of it tonight. I dropped some hints along the way, but people can go back and listen. I think it was exactly a year ago. I did correcting the presumption of status. Because it's not really your status you're, you're correcting. Everything they're doing is done under presumption of law. And so that's what needs to be fixed. You got to fix that presumption. And at the same time, that's why I say every week, you know, we need to realize who we really are. Where we're really from. You realize where you're really at. Like I mentioned early on about what a state really is. It's a conquered territory. How many rights do you think the inhabitants of a conquered territory have? I think people have been finding out more and more, especially the past couple of years. You don't have very many, do you? And if you really want to do get in there and fight, I mean, it, you know, justice, justice costs money. It's not cheap. So it's just a matter of how much justice you can afford. Like I said, learn who you really are, where are you really from, and where are you really at. You'll be way further ahead. Thanks for being here this week, guys. And we'll talk to you next Sunday night. Everybody accept the blessings that have already been granted to you. Good night.
Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.